for all your college football needs, check out GoForTheTwo.com. Get the latest with college football insider Joe Lisi only at GoForTheTwo.com. Friday edition of the Weekly Blitz. I'm your host, Joe Lisi. This is part of the Go for the Two Network. If you love college football as much as I do, this is the show for you. We have a great show in store for you today. Today's show is sponsored by Jersey Pump. Are you a gladiator or a spectator? Step into the arena of life at jerseypump.com. How will Ohio State go from being the huntee to the hunted to start the 2015 college football season. We're about 75 days away from the kickoff, and we have a great week one slate for all the college football fans. One of those games, Ohio State travels to Blacksburg to kick off their 2015 campaign against the only team that defeated the Buckeyes in 2014, 35-21, the Virginia Tech Hokies. Not going to be easy, but we're going to be joined today by a very special guest, a man that knows Columbus inside and out. He tore it up on the field in Columbus. A man that's joining me right now. I want to welcome in former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. Greg, how are you today? Doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining me today. It's been a while since we talked about the Buckeyes National Championship game. We're about 75 days away from the start of the 2015 season. A lot of optimism. Tell me what the the atmosphere in Columbus. Got to be a lot of excitement to get this September 7th game underway against Virginia Tech. What are the fans and what's the feeling surrounding this ball club entering the 2015 season? Well, clearly there's very high expectations. You know, it's interesting compared to a year ago when expectations were, were high, but then you get the injury to Braxton Miller and they just dropped rock bottom. Um, very different now, obviously, when you win a national championship uh, with a relatively young football team, expectations are extremely high. And, you know, you've got, it's just loaded on both sides of the ball. And, again, as you might expect, um, the majority of the conversations are, I mean, I got asked again this morning, well, who's going to be the quarterback? And uh, that seems to be the prevailing sentiment right now. Or the biggest question is, uh, who's going to be the man? I asked Phil Steele this yesterday. He's he's leaning towards J.T. Barrett, and I, I we talked about this last year, uh, right after they they got to the playoff. That I felt like J.T. Barrett of the three was the more complete quarterback. He can run, he can pass, but he was the guy that really brought the Buckeyes along the way and got acclimated in the system. Not to take away from what Braxton Miller or Cardale Jones did for that ball club, but I really feel he's the more complete quarterback. Do you have a, a preference if you're looking at these three guys, which guy, if you're the OC, you would rather have under center right now? <laughs> That's a, that is such a great question. I think uh, you know, there's no right answer. You can make an argument for every single one of those guys. Uh, you can make a very legitimate argument. But it, I always like trying to figure out what's going to happen. And I think the first question is, you know, health status, and, and especially Braxton. You know, number one, is he going to be healthy? Um, if he's not, then, you know, that just takes care of that part of the equation. Then you get two other guys. Um, 
if he is, then how much of a loyalty sentiment is there? Because he's a senior, you know, he didn't lose a job. He lost it because, you know, he, he got hurt. Uh, and I know um, Urban Meyer thinks greatly of him, and he, lo- he loves his seniors. So I'm curious to see how it's going to play out as far as Braxton is concerned. Um, you know, with JT, I agree. I mean, I, he, he's, he's a great fit for the offense, better than the other guys. Um, and, again, that's, that tends to be a relative statement, though. Um, in the long run, JT holds the cards for he's going to play the most in the next couple of years. There's no doubt about that. Um, but then you got this guy, you know, Cardale, who obviously finished the season strong, did something that's you know, never been done before pretty much. And he got so many reps late in the season. He got all the reps in the spring practice. So he has an advantage with reps coming in. The other thing he brings to the table, and I, I think I really got a good perspective from listening to other teams late in years, especially Alabama, is he stretches the field vertically, unlike the other guys can do. You know, that I went to the spring game, 99,000 people there, uh, probably more peeling in. And, you know, it was, it was about as vanilla as you're going to get with a spring game. So really nothing to report there other than Cardale Jones threw at 75 yards at halftime uh, in a little contest, which, you know, the fans went nuts. And, and I'm thinking – I know the deal. He's got more in the tank. He was gassed and he threw it 75 yards. Um, but when you look at what that brings to a, a, the, the challenge that brings to a defense is they got to cover deep. And, um, and with his ability to run when he, when he needs to and bulldoze, bulldoze guys, that just brings an element that's just, I mean, that is hard to defend. So, you know, again, I could talk at length. I mean, they all bring great stuff to the table. Um, from a leadership standpoint, I would argue JT and Cardale have the advantage. Braxton would be, in, in my opinion, third in, in the running from a leadership standpoint. So, you know, I, in my gut, I believe this, Joe, it's, it's going to take care of itself. Whether it's injuries or play, whatever, it will play out and it will take care of itself. And I believe the answers would be very obvious. That's a great point, and you mentioned that. I feel like Cardell Jones, too, in that championship game against Oregon, they never faced a quarterback of his size to tackle him for four quarters, and the running game with Ezekiel Elliott just pounding that defensive front for four quarters is really what propelled the Buckeyes from an offensive perspective to that championship victory over Oregon. So I, I get you on that uh, aspect. And you're right about JT as well. I think the one thing you want to see if you're an Ohio State fan is consistency. If, if you pick a quarterback and it's Cardale or it is JT, you don't want to see a lot of switching throughout the years because it's from a quarterback's perspective, consistency. They're like pitchers. They've got to get into a groove, got to get into a rhythm so that they can feel confident in the system. You don't want to see three series with Cardale, three, as long as they're acclimated to it. But it seems like both of those guys want to be the starter, and, and that's where I think it's, it would be a detriment if they play them throughout the year that way. Um, the other question that has to be on people's minds in Columbus is how will this team deal with the, the departure of Tom Herman now taking over the reins at Houston. How big of a loss in your eyes? You were a former offensive coordinator. Talk to me about his departure and what the coaching staff has to do to make up for that. Well, I think that's very typical. I mean, it's just that's part of the nature of college football. You know, if, if a coach is on the rise, he's going to go somewhere else, and, and the head coach is going to support that. And Tom Herman did a phenomenal job. So um, that's just part of what you got to deal with, and, and Urban Meyer is very, very good at that. He made a quick hire, made a quick switch. You know, and on down the road they go. 
I will tell you from an offensive standpoint, the question is going to be, you know, how many changes do they make offensively? You know, if there's a lot of changes made, that puts more stress on the players to learn the new stuff. You know, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of changes made. I didn't really see that in the spring. But, again, they didn't really show much. So, um, you know, could it be a factor? Sure, it could. Um, but, you, you know, you got the remainder of the offensive staff pretty much there. Ed Warner's back. You know, he's now a co-offensive coordinator, I believe. Um, you know, he did a tremendous job coaching the O-line. I mean, look, if he does his job and he coaches up the O-line, you could put a blindfold on me and I could call plays, literally. You know, and so if you think about the strength that they have come back from an offensive line standpoint and the talent on offense, you know, the play calling is not going to be the issue. It's going to be staying healthy and, and getting out of their way, just making sure they're, they're getting their reps and they do their thing on Saturdays. That's a great point because at the beginning of the last year, that was the concern. There were a lot of new starters on that offensive line. They really were young and inexperienced. And as they made that run, the quarterbacks got a lot of attention. But in, in my opinion, not enough credit given to that O-line because you look at the success in the, in the championship run from the Big Ten championship through the national championship, none of those quarterbacks were under as much duress throughout that. The offensive line protect them and open up holes for Elliott. So I think you're right. The offensive line it gelled at just the right time last year. They have experience, and as long as they're playing like they were at the end of the year, play calling isn't an issue. The only thing I, I think about with play calling that I think a lot of fans don't realize, and I just want your take on it because I knew you call plays, is that I feel like even though fans, it, it might be the same system and another coordinator takes over, there's still a learning curve, meaning let's say we're co-offensive coordinators and, and we're calling the, the spread offense. I might be a little more aggressive than you. You're looking the game through a different set of eyes. So Tom Herman might like to run the ball on first down or utilize play action where I might be more aggressive and call uh, a pass play on first down or, or switch it up to get us to, you know, third and two or second and eight or whatever it is. Uh, we call different plays at different times. Do you see that as well? Like it takes a, a coordinator – a little bit of a rhythm to, to get into that game plan mentality. I think so. And, and again, it, it's from my history of play calling, being a coordinator, you know, it's really, it's, it's understanding what talents you have, what resources you have and utilizing them, you know, putting them in positions to succeed. Uh, and again, with Urban Meyer having his thumb on that and his, his, his success historically offensively, I really don't think that's going to be an issue. Um, the thing that this team did so well at last year was they had the chemistry, you know, behind the scenes, they had this guy, Tim Kite, and we talked about Tim and his, and his son, Brian, and what they brought to the table from a leadership standpoint. That was a thing that, you know, you can't really uh, tangibly see it on the field, but the way this team responded as the year went on was just better than any other team. And they, they still – I think they still had – I know they still are working on those, those types of leadership things. And they've, they've – so to me, that chemistry and the leadership uh, far outweighs what, what the play calling is going to be. Um, and I think Tim Beck, you know, he's the guy who came in and replaced Herman as quarterback coach, and he's co-offensive coordinator with Ed Warner. You know, he, Tim had a relationship with Urban Meyer. So, you know, Urban chose him for a reason. And, and I guarantee you that Tim Beck had to make a decision – that I'm buying into everything that they're doing from a leadership standpoint and from a play-calling standpoint, I, I just don't see that being an issue. The, to me, the biggest challenge is going to be how do you deal with that mentality 
and the memory of, hey, we won the national championship. Now you get this huge bullseye in your chest. You know, that is the biggest hurdle any team like this has to deal with. And um, I, I know they're dealing with it, but that doesn't mean uh, it doesn't become an issue during the season. That was my next question for you, and I'm glad that you brought it up because they're not professionals, and that's not to take away from what they did, but they're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, and they're still maturing. So I agree with that. How will they respond not to the national attention? They, they've been hunted. The, they're going to be the hunted. They've been the hunty for a couple of years now, wanting to get their name out there with the SEC and take on the SEC to show that they can play with the bigger conferences, uh, whatever the media attention was, and they got their opportunity later last year and dominated now from being the front runner, how do they deal with that moving forward? So that's a great point. The other point I want to bring up to you is this defense led by Joey Bosa only gave up 22 points per game. The one interesting statistic that doesn't get brought up in their championship run from the big 10 championship through the national championship was during the regular season, Greg, they held opponents to 34% on third down conversions in that run from the big 10 through the national championship. They held their opponents to nine, I believe, of 43, which was 20% on third down conversions. When your defense is getting three and out, it's very easy for the offense to take over and get the ball back and make, you know, uh, yards and make field positions so that you you utilize that, that defensive effort. So that was a great job. Can this defense be better than they were last season? You know, that's a great question and a really great point. And the – as I'm looking at the defense, I really believe this defense can be dominant. They have the ability to be dominant this year um, because you're right. They, they were trending late in the year. You could see it coming together. Uh, they were beginning to put, put it together, you know, third, third, third quarter of the season, if you will, and down the stretch, they were just rock solid. And, and you know, all the, all the pieces of the puzzle fell in place. They were getting some defensive scores. They were creating turnovers, stopping teams on third downs. They were getting good pressure on the quarterbacks tackles for loss you know the dbs were really really improving i mean they were probably the most improved part of that defense you know and you don't lose a lot of guys off that defense you know michael bennett might have been the stud that you lost that um uh that really could make a difference in the on the defensive line but they got a lot of new bodies coming in there so um i, I just i really think they could be dominant uh, which is kind of unusual when you have such a you know high uh high-profile offense coming back, it's kind, of, it's kind of weird. But if you just focus on the defense, I, I think they've got the tools uh, and the mentality that they could, uh, they could keep teams under 10 points for, for the most part throughout the season. I really believe that. Uh, and that's a great point, too. You look at their schedule. They open up with Virginia Tech. Uh, not going to be easy in Blacksburg. This is a team. I understand that it was JT Barrett's second career start, a little raw at that point after the victory over Navy. So they caught them at just the right time, you can say. But this was a Virginia Tech team that lost five of six ball games by a total of 20 points. Wayne Stadium is not an easy place to play. So this is going to be a, a very fast start, might you say, for the Buckeyes. They're going to have to bring their A game week number one, September 7th. But after that, they have a very favorable schedule Throughout September and October, it really gets a little difficult to start in November, Minnesota, and then it starts at Minnesota, at Illinois, they get Michigan State at home, and then uh, obviously the rivalry game at Michigan is not going to be easy with Jim Harbaugh, but this is a team that schedule-wise is really shaping up to really favor a playoff run. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. As I look at the schedule, sure, Virginia Tech, that's, I mean, 
I think I hear a lot of people say, well, they're going to go down there and they'll get revenge. I mean, but that's, it's still first, you know, early in the season. It, it's going to be tough. Um, but I think they'll take care of business there. The Northern Illinois game at home was one that's kind of a scary one because I think to the general fan, they're like, oh, who's Northern Illinois? They've obviously been stellar in the last uh, number of years. So that one's kind of one you got to be careful because they'll be laying the weeds for trying to knock off Ohio State at home. Um, and it's one of those games you get the crowd kind of just in a blasé mood and, and all of a sudden it's 17-14 late third quarter. You're going, well, what's going on here? Um, <laughs> last year they had they had two buys, and the, and the second buy late in the season I think really, really – They've got that again this year, the end of October, for the stretch run. And I think that's an important time to have a bye. Um, so I like that. Because if you look at the schedule, November is going to be, you know, it's, it's back-ended, obviously. So, uh, you know, I, the schedule is absolutely in their favor. Um, yeah. Again, they're loaded. So, I mean, you, you can't um, not just face the facts here. They are absolutely loaded. They, they should be smoking a lot of these teams. And they ought to be coming in late November you know, powerful, but we all know there's the unknowns that come up and uh, they did last year. So, you know, we'll see with the bullseye in their chest, you know, how they deal with those adversities because they will come. You're going to get everybody's best effort each and every week. You mentioned Northern Illinois. They've just dominated the match for years now over uh, the last four or five years, just dominant, dominant efforts. And they love to run the football, play a very blue collar defense. So I agree with that. As well, Northern Illinois is a team that you have to keep out on on September 19th. And the other thing that uh, was very uh, critical of the Buckeyes last year at the start of the season was their schedule. And we spoke about it, including Alabama and Oregon. Ohio State faced 12 bowl opponents on their schedule. And unbelievably, at the start of the year, not a lot of people gave them credit for that. So we don't know how this schedule is going to turn out. Uh, throughout the 2015 season, so you can't take anybody lightly on, on the schedule. So, but I think favorably, just looking at it, they should be there in the playoff. And as long as they can deal with the adversity, I think there's a great group going forward. Tell me how they're going to miss Devin Smith overall, big play wide receiver, came up big in the playoffs. Do you see a guy taking his place and stepping up and making some noise to help out those quarterbacks? I think that's a great question because Devin Smith, um, you know, had that deep threat. And, I mean, to me, he was one of the best deep threat receivers in, in the recent history of college football that nobody talked about. Um, <laughs> the guy just made play after play after play. I don't, I don't know who we have on the roster that can provide that deep threat yet. They've got – they're certainly loaded at the receiver position. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I mean, just loaded. Um, but I don't – I don't see that deep threat, and that that's that's something that really helped last year, especially late in the season when you know he's making the plays. You know, he he didn't make as many plays against Oregon because I think Oregon decided they weren't going to give up a deep ball, but that opened up a lot of other things. You know, like a running back running for 200 yards again. Um, so yeah, he he's a that's that's big shoes to fill. Uh, but I think collectively, when you look at the talent they have at receiver, you know, it shouldn't be an issue. But I'm I'm hoping that. You've got some of these new young guys coming in, and we've got somebody who can stretch the field because that makes a big difference. Um, but that's tough shoes to fill with what that guy did. I mean, I, I just tip the hat. What an amazing receiver. Yeah, he did a great job and really propelled the Buckeyes. You said that in, in the playoffs, tore, tore up Alabama, really tore up that secondary in Landon Collins. How does it feel to be talking about the Big Ten 
like we are in the offseason prior to the season and when we knew 2014 started, not a lot, giving credit to the Big Ten overall. But how, how good does it feel a former player, senior alma mater, win the national championship and now know that the Big Ten could possibly now make a run here with Jim Harbaugh moving to Michigan, Michigan State, and D'Antonio making some noise. Urban Meyer, his resume speaks for itself. How does it feel to see the conference as a whole now gaining momentum this coming season? Yeah, Joe, the tables have turned, and it, uh, it feels pretty good because we've taken a beating, you know, from the SEC for such a long time, and, and deservedly so. I mean, they, they won it on the field. But, uh, you know, Ohio State changed all that last year, and, and I think it really was satisfying being that it was the first, you know, playoff national championship, and we, and we handled, it on, handled it on the field decisively. And nobody can argue that there weren't nothing about the votes. It's, you know, we beat them and we beat Alabama in the sugar bowl. You know, that's uh, there's no debating that. Um, and we beat them physically. So that's, that's a pretty good feeling. Um, but you know, that's last year and <laughs> it's, uh, I think we'll have more respect, but I, you know, I, you hear that discussion of, well, the big 10 doesn't have any respect. I mean, really at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's, it's so it settles itself by what happens on the field. But I can tell you that this team believed that they could beat those teams and now they did so that belief is going to carry on for for a period of time and i think that's beyond this year for sure i'm in agreement with you i think that will really see the effects of ohio state's victory last year in 2017 i really feel a couple of more recruiting classes now from ohio state and michigan state or wisconsin i'm talking top to bottom teams like illinois teams like Indiana really start to get consistency like they did in the late 80s and 90s when you played, where the conference from top to bottom each and every week, it was a battle. And you, you didn't know who was going to win, and, uh, and it wasn't as lopsided as we've seen it top-heavy. So I agree with you. I think the Big Ten is back in a big way, and you could look at those January 1st performances, two teams in particular, Wisconsin and Michigan State, handling the SEC and handling the Big 12 Dominant fashions in any way, shape, or form. They came back from Michigan State. Wisconsin rushed for over 400 yards on <laughs> over. So, uh, <laughs> and then when you look at Ohio State, I mean, you can't take away, uh, you know, the Big Ten is back in a big way. So, I'm a believer with you. Greg, it's always a pleasure. I love the inside. I love hearing about uh, Ohio State and coming from a quarterback that just tore up in the Big Ten. You know, one of my favorites at Ohio State. I, I just love the inside. Always welcome on the show. Love to touch base with you as we kick off this season. Let's keep going because it's going to be fun to see how this all plays out here in the next couple of months. I appreciate being on, Joe. Thanks a lot, my friend. Talk to you soon. You got it. Take care. All right. That was former Big Ten Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. Great insight. He knows the Buckeyes through and through. This is a guy that was a great, great come-from-behind quarterback and just a great, pure passer. I mean, this guy doesn't get enough credit. You want to talk about the three biggest victories, come-from-behind victories in Ohio State history. History. I'm t and maybe I'm a little young. I'm not talking 1930s when they wore leather helmets and stuff like that. I'm talking about 1988, 1989, 1990, those games that Greg Fry played in. Let's talk about 1989, down 31 to nothing on the road in the Metrodome. 31 to zip. All Greg Fry does 
He throws it out to Bobby Olive, throws it out to Graham. Next thing you know, it's 31-14, 31-21. They win the ball game on the road with Carlos Snow, one of my favorite all-time Ohio State running backs. Wins that ball game on the road. Ohio State basically shut down Minnesota in the second half. Unbelievable victory by Greg Fry and the Ohio State Buckeyes. Let's talk about 1988 at home in the horseshoe against LSU and Tommy Hodson. Left for dead with about 12 minutes left. Maybe a little less. I think it was like six, four minutes left. Left for dead in that game. Ohio State fans were leaving the stands. All Greg Fry does is leave the, lead them back. They get a big kickoff, a punt return late in that game to set up Greg Fry and that offense. Unbelievable come-from-behind victory at home. Carlos Snow, Bobby Olive, Jeff Graham. Unbelievable. Zach Dumas, I think, was on that team. Zach Dumas, another one. Great, great, one of the hardest hits in college football that he performed in the 1990 Hall of Fame game. Unbelievable. 1990, on the road against Iowa, Greg Fry takes over. Cool customer. Leads the Buckeyes down on the road against Hayden Fry and the Iowa Hawkeyes. Are you kidding me? This man knows Ohio State football. This man was a big-time performer on a national stage. Love his insight. Love how he gives his quarterback's take on things. And that's why I ask him those questions. I have my take, but this is a man that did it in the horseshoe in Columbus. I respect him. Great football mind. He call plays as an offensive coordinator. He breaks down local high school talent in the Columbus and Cincinnati area. So he knows Ohio State football through and through. Unbelievable insight from former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. You heard it. He wants to know, how will Ohio State respond from being the hunty to the hunted? Because they are young kids. They're not professionals. These aren't kids that have done it before. So, And they're in college. You don't know how they're going to respond. And that's what makes college football so special. I will say this. From a roster perspective, Ohio State is dominant. But to me, overall, the landscape of college football, the way we've seen over the last couple of years now, to me, there's not one dominant team above the rest from top to bottom. Any team can be defeated on any given Saturday. I'm not talking about – I don't think we've seen a dominant, dominant team over the last few years. You could talk about Florida State. You could talk about – Auburn in 2010 or Alabama in 09. And I don't think we've seen that dominant team. And I'm talking dominant with Hall of Fame talent each and every week, like we've seen from those Miami teams or those 1995 Nebraska teams or the early teams of Michigan and Ohio State in the mid-'80s, those dominant, dominant teams. So I think college football has changed. But looking at the Ohio State roster and what they were able to do last year and the returning starters that they have coming back, they are a loaded, stacked football team. How do they deal with that in the 2015 season remains to be seen. That's the burning question everybody wants to know. 
I don't think it's a, a walkover game week one at Virginia Tech. I'll tell you why. It's week number one. So that scares me a little bit if you're an Ohio State fan. It takes a while for these guys to get acclimated and, and game ready. I'm not saying they're not going to be ready for this matchup. I'm just saying you saw how Ohio State progressed last season. They got better as the season progressed. Some teams start out slow. Some teams start out fast and fail at the end. You want to see consistency from start to finish and follow it through the way Ohio State and Urban Meyer did last year. Virginia Tech is going to be confident. They have a quarterback in Michael Brewer, who's a senior now, was inconsistent last year, but he's an experienced quarterback that won on the road in the horseshoe and upset Ohio State 35-21 to 21 on the road. He, he led that team to victory. They're going to be confident. Wayne Stadium is going to be rocking in Blacksburg. That Bud Foster defense is going to be flying into the football. He's going to utilize blitz packages. He's going to utilize corner blitzes. He's going to do whatever it takes to get that team involved defensively. This is a unit that had 48 sacks, third in the country. Ohio State was top five. I think they had 47 or 40, 43 overall sacks, 44 in that area. I didn't look at the actual numbers, but Ohio State, that's the key statistic. When I broke down their run last year, everybody talked about the rushing offense. Yes, offensive line, quarterback play, their ability to wear down their, their opponents and, and, and be battle-tested. They didn't fear Alabama after they fell behind. They didn't fold. But this is a team that held opponents to 34% third down conversion in the regular season. And in that playoff run, they held their opponents to 20%. Dominant victory by Joey Boza and the, and the crew. And I like Von Bell. Von Bell's a hard-hitting safety. Safety reminds me of Michael Doss back in the day. Always have hard-hitting safeties. Ohio State does. So, but I look for Frank Beamer, who, in my opinion, Frank Beamer's on the hot seat. He's a legendary head coach, but now you've seen middle-of-the-road play by Virginia Tech. We haven't seen consistency, and I think the fans are getting a little upset there. So look for Frank Beamer and Bud Foster to have this team up, ready, and they're going to pull out all the stops week number one. They're going to roll the dice. They're going, to, they're going to spread out Ohio State. They're going to try and run the football, but they're going to try and really move the field uh, ball down the field vertically, I think. Michael Brewer, second year in the system, look for them to stretch the field against Ohio State. So I, I think that... It's not an easy game if you're a Buckeye fan. And then November will make or break the Buckeye season because November 7th, Minnesota, November 14th at Illinois, November 21st, Michigan State comes to town. Not an easy game. Veteran quarterback in Connor Cook. Minnesota's not an easy game, although they lose David Cobb and they lose Max Williams. This is a team that played Ohio State very tough last year. Lost by seven points. 31-24 was a snow game. 
But over the years, Minnesota plays Ohio State very tough. And Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, know that. It's a rivalry game, not an easy game. With Jim Harbaugh in the mix, the intensity level gets cranked up a notch. They'll be ready. But this is great. This is why we love college football. College football is great. This is why I love talking about it. Stay with me all season long. We have another great list of guests coming on the show next week, the week after. We're going to give you what you want during the offseason for college football. I know you're chomping at the bit, and this is what makes this game so special. Stay with me all season long on the weekly blitz. Have a great weekend, everyone.